ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. Thomas Brown, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. Just uh, enjoying a uh, little bit colder day here in Texas, but not too bad. Winter isn't fully here yet. Well, I'm glad to have you on ATV Talk. I really appreciate you taking some time with us. I know a lot of a lot of things are happening in your life right now, and um, I'd like you to fill us in a little bit. Yeah, it's been. Uh, I tell you what, it's crazy. We're recording this, and two days ago, my final ATV left the shop. It was uh, it was kind of surreal as I look around the shop now, and I'm used to seeing you know four, five plus you know you know race quads around here and. All I got is four by fours now. So that was a sad day. And, but ultimately I'm, I'm excited for the next chapter in my life and my future wife's life. And we have a, a lot going on. We get married in just, oh, just over a week from now, or, you know, uh, give or take, she, she knows it to the date. I'm a little bit, uh, aloof on that, but it's, it's been crazy and we're having to make a lot of life decisions, but, you know, stepping away from racing was a big decision. It's one that I never knew when and how I was going to make. And, it all fell into the right place at the right time, it seems like, and uh, time will tell, but I'm excited and, you know, looking forward to our next chapter, like I said, and, you know, we've been making decisions quickly, I would say. Well, congratulations on your upcoming wedding and uh, your new life. Um, if you don't mind me asking, the the change in lifestyle, did uh, it come with the wedding invitation or did it come because you guys were, were looking to start a family or, or just start that next chapter in life? Uh, I, you know, a lot of people think it has a lot to do with the wedding and us getting married and taking that next chapter. Honestly, when I proposed to her and even starting this season, I had no idea that this was going to be my last. And with that being said, is it was kind of surreal as coming into the season, I, I after Daytona, I, back up a little bit is coming to the season and with the wedding and planning it and her saying the date we were planning on keep racing like our life really wasn't going to change anything other than us committing to each other for life and we were excited about that and now kind of come into the season as we started the season I was gung-ho we didn't know how many years we were going to do it we were just going to keep on you know I've been very fortunate to make a living doing this not a great living not putting a whole lot of money away if actually putting no money away but <laughs> investing in myself and and live in my life and she got to live with me and we lived a very fun and amazing life we got to do a lot of things we wanted and i'm sure if we would have saved money we could have put some money away but with the lifestyle and how stressful it is it was kind of hard to save money sometimes we needed to you know we went on vacations and we had to do that to get away and some people be like man like that's crazy you know just you race for a living how stressful can it be but at times it can be uh. pretty gnarly and I'm sure you know, I, I've listened to a few of your podcasts. I know you know the uh, the whole routine. And people listen to this will be kind of shocked as, man, it's it's a grind day to day. And it, we'll get into it a little bit later, but I'm way more relaxed now. But the decision came after Daytona. I left Daytona leading 10 of 15 laps, I think, uh, with Chad right on me the entire time before I made a mistake. 
And then me and Joel getting into it on the last lap and me going down and finishing eighth and losing the podium when I should have, in my eyes, I should have won that moto. And a small mistake on my part, which happens, it just, the heartbreak going from hero to, you know, zero is, was very hard for me and not being on the box, not making any money. And coming into the season every year is the tightest part of the year because you spend all your money getting things ready, prepping yourself with zero income, no podiums, no, no bonuses, maybe some salary coming in. But it's, it's always the – my bank account is always the tightest at that point, and we leave there. And it was hard on me. And on the way back, I kind of realized, like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Actually, I came off the track saying, I can't do this anymore. I just couldn't. I told my dad – Brandy, I was like, I can't do it. It's like the heartache was gnarly. And and I'll speak to this now is because I don't – I told Joel this on after my last moto, my last race, we were standing on the podium together. And I told him after Daytona, that was – I realized it then. And he goes – or I started realizing it then. He goes, man, I hope I had nothing to do with that because we came together and I got the short and the stick and he started the conflict. He came from behind me and we got together. as part of racing. He was being a great – trying to go for it and and it ultimately it wasn't his fault it, I want to make sure I make that clear is that Joel Joel was a competitor and he was doing what he had to do and it just the whole racing then it kind of fell into place for me and it felt like it was the right time to step away it I mean that's basically is everything kind of fell in place it was a heartache and there was a lot more pluses to this year but I never turned around on it is it the heartache and all the hard work was paying off but I wasn't enjoying it as much as I used to and with that being said is also I'm 31 now and I have no future plans you know best you can hope to race to is about 40 if you're lucky and that's not there would be no way at 40 I could have retired so I needed to start looking at the future and I had a few buddies that uh got into what I'm going to get into next which is being a fireman and nice it all kind of clicked together is like, okay, so I could look at that career. I could start on that now and I could hopefully step away from racing at the end of this year healthy. So kind of all came together and it was a, it was a shock to me and Brandy whenever we started talking about it, but we both agreed on it. And I told my parents and they go, you know, they were fully supportive in it. And it was, uh, we kind of kept it on the quiet side for a few months. Uh, and also I wasn't hundred percent sure when I left Daytona, you know, we had all talked about it and I was thinking hard on it and probably a month or two, especially after COVID hit, which did not help any of that. Right. It was, uh, it was kind of clear as it was time, the right time. So let me ask you this. How are you physically from all the years of racing and then going into a physically demanding job, like being a fireman? Um, how are you physically? You know, is I am, I'm amazing. I've had a very, very fortunate career. I've had one surgery where the, on uh, my ankle and that was midway through my pro career. Uh, I tore my wrist at one point and then I broke my arm when I was young racing. Minus those, there's the regular gets off where you bum a shoulder or something like that. But I was very fortunate throughout my whole career to be remain really healthy. I had, I mean, I think I was close to like 80 races straight from my rookie race to when I hurt myself and it was, I think it was 16 or 17 with my wrist is I never missed a race, never missed a moto, was healthy. And even then I hurt my wrist and then kept racing on it. And it just eventually was the results weren't there that I needed. 
So I needed to take some time away, but I was very healthy and I'm still really healthy. And, uh, after I announced this year, I got super nervous each time I lined up and even going into the last race, normally I'm one to jump stuff and try different things. And the people were jumping things before me. And there was one jump that I'm pretty sure we could have done. And I didn't do. And I, I was stressing like lining up. And then later on that day, we're lined up for the final moto. And I'm just like, just leave this race healthy. Like go put a good result in, be something you can be proud of, but leave it healthy. And I was really nervous that I was going to make a mistake and, you know, end up hurt on my final race or this final year at some point. So when I finished that second moto at South of the border this year, it was, uh, man, the weight was lifted off my shoulder and no, and I did race the stock class on Sunday and I almost didn't race that, but I went out there with the intention. As soon as I felt anything where I wasn't having fun or not feeling safe, I was pulling off where, you know, as far as a professional racer is not feeling safe is kind of where the comfort zone you got to ride in. You can't be, you can't feel safe and know that you're in control all the time. Sometimes you got to let it hang out. And it, I rode that final day definitely safer than I have in the past. And the final motos on the built bikes on Saturday, it was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders because I was super nervous about getting hurt and super healthy. So fortunate enough, I can go into another physically demanding job that's, you know, very active. And that's one thing I really like about the fireman job is the, everybody stays active, everybody stays healthy. And along with that, we're moving to Florida to do that because of the same reasons it's year round activities. And me and Brandy just truly want to live an active lifestyle. And we really like that about Florida. We have a ton of friends there that enjoy similar stuff with some of the four by four riding we do. And then the active lifestyle is we want to keep that in our lives because we've so used to that. Texas is amazing during the summer. And I don't know if you can be a Texas summer, but as far as the winters go, we still get cold and there's months you want to stay inside. And uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully year round, you know, year round summer. Well, I've grown up in Southern California my whole life. So I am a full on sissy when it comes to cold weather. I mean, we uh, get, me and you both, we get into the forties a little bit, but it's just not, it's just not fun for me. You know what? We started off this conversation and, uh, you know, you and I, I don't believe have ever met. No, no, I haven't. And I, it was awesome when I logged on as I, uh, I listened to several of your podcasts now, uh, the Paul Turner one, uh, really enjoyed that one. The Shane hit one, you know, a huge idol of mine. Uh, so I've listened to a few of them because I'm a big podcaster and I found it just, man, three or four weeks ago. And then obviously with life being so busy, I haven't got to listen to them all yet, but yeah, I, I, I don't believe we've ever met. It's crazy because this, this racing community is really small, but it's, uh, so there's definitely a difference between East coast and West coast. And I haven't got to spend a lot of time out there. Well, we would have loved to have you come out and race some of the stuff on the West coast. It would have been a lot of fun. Um, because it, it is a totally different world. You know, the speeds are different. Some of the, the, the terrain, the motocross stuff, obviously you would have no problem. And you've done some woods racing, haven't you? Uh, some, I, I did one GNCC. I was a hero for about a lap and a half. Uh, <laughs> I was behind. Yeah. I, I was going fast for a lap and a half. Uh, I started like second or I started third behind Borch and somebody else. And I passed into second and I was coming to the field sections, yelling, having a blast. Borch had a good lead on it was dusty. So you couldn't see in the woods, which was helping me stay in second. And about a lap and a half in, I started dying off and I ended up finishing like 56th or something overall. And <laughs> But at one point I was in second, just ripping. 
So I, I did one GNCC and grew up doing a lot of woods racing. Uh, we raced before we started doing nationals, we raced every weekend and even into like my youth ranks and early races doing nationals is that's how I trained and practiced. I mean, we didn't, tra- you didn't call it training then you just went and rode. So, but my dad, we would race every weekend. We do a couple night practices during the week and we just, we, we raced anything and everything. We do woods races, team races, uh, flat track, motocross. We, we did it pretty much all. Well, I'm going to be talking to Mike Penlin. I know you know who he is. At least I hope you do. Four-wheel drive king, you know. Um, Yes. So I have a series coming out in in January on him. Uh, And are you going to – are you going to – are you going to venture into any other type of sports stuff? Or is is the racing 100% over and it's just all about fun now? As of right now, it's, it's all about fun. Uh, there's no, there's no racing I see in my future. I'm not going to say never. Cause I mean, three or four years down the road, maybe I get the itch again. Uh, but as far as right now, every quad sold, I kept my dirt bike, but not that I don't love riding quads is that I guess everybody hears me to keep the dirt bike and they think I'm like anti-quad and I'm far from that. But my thing is, is if I go to a track within the next few years and I haven't been training and haven't been riding, I'm going to want to go as fast as I remember I could go and I'm not going to be able to do it. Or my, I guess my ego and my brain and my reaction time aren't all going to sync up and I'll end up getting hurt. So I, as of right now, there's no plans. And I'm kind of enjoying that. I'm taking a step away where we like doing a lot of big mud event stuff with the four by fours and side by sides and, you know, having a few drinks here and there and <laughs> enjoying it. I, I've, you know, it's crazy is, uh, I never got to do much of that racing is, you know, is you take, you, you go out drinking one night, that's two or three days of recovery to get your body back to where it was before that. So that's two or three days that everybody else went ahead on you. So right. I never did much of it. and it's I think part of my success was how focused I was during the season but it's some of the stuff I missed out on and I'm looking forward to doing some more of the relaxation stuff and having fun one of the things that I think most of the non-race crowd or non-professional athlete crowd miss is the dedication and self-sacrifice it takes to put yourself in the positions to do the things that you do yeah, for sure. And, you know, just because we don't get paid like, uh, you know, a million dollar athlete doesn't mean we're not putting the effort in. We're not. I mean, sometimes it's even gnarlier is because we're doing our own mechanicing, our own practice bike prep, our own race bike prep. Uh, and then training on top of that is I had very little time. And it's it's kind of crazy. Right now, after all the bikes are gone, I got them all built, sold. And, and I'm not working yet. I'm still working on trying to figure out school and stuff like that. And I got, I got free time right now. And I'm, I'm honestly bored because even in the off seasons, you're prepping for the next season, building bikes, making phone calls, doing this, doing that. And you're busy and there's no phone calls to really be made. There's no more bikes to fix. So it's, uh, it's kind of been weird the last few days when that last one left, it's like the last week has been different on that end. But as far as the amount of work it goes in is, man, it's crazy. It's, if you would put the amount of hours I in, put in a week to what I get paid is a, I believe I'm less than minimum wage. Yes. I trust me. I know I've, I've been doing it for quite a while and, and um, 
I missed this year. Um, you know, family needed me at home and then the COVID hit. So that kind of softened the blow a little bit because I've been traveling for 30 years and um, I, I don't see me, I don't see me not coming back, but being home and having a normal life um, is, is a little different. You know, I mean, you're, you're going to learn, you know, when you're home that first weekend and there's a race going on and you're scratching your head going, I know I'm supposed to be somewhere else, not here. And yeah, I, I can't, can't imagine when that's going to happen. So, I mean, I'll have to take your word on is it's, it's going to be different. I had, there's no doubt. I'm still not over it. And you know, the thousand was this was just a couple of days ago and I was, you know, I, I don't go to many of them, but I'm thinking that's where I'm supposed to be instead of at home. And, uh, you know, I'm working, trying to prep all these machines to go for the Thanksgiving holiday. It's not racing, but you know, these, these people still want to go ride their recreational toys and have a good time. And it's, it's just, you're still in the back of your mind. Who's winning, you know, what, what what mile marker are they at? You know, gosh, I, I sure hope they, they, they fix this issue. Or I, you know, I talk to some of the guys that are prepping sometimes and, and, you know, I sure hope that they solve that problem they were having. And it's just a lot of fun and, and desert stuff you didn't get to do, but you know, the motocross, I've been, I was back there for a number of years before the series split. Yeah. Yeah. I'm old. It's okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I came in after that. Uh, so, but I've only heard about it. And I think when the series was all together, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, like to have, you know, an overall champion was, I mean, I, I wouldn't have been opposed to it going back that way. I think it'd been pretty cool. Have you ever watched the movie on any Sunday? I don't, I sound so familiar, but I can't guarantee I have. It's like the 70s, 60s, 70s version um, start of the motorcycle love of the motorcycle in America. And it, you watch that movie and, and what I think they should do for a true national champion, you need to take a couple cross country races, a couple motocross races, a couple TT races, a couple off-road races, and then a couple desert races, combine the series and hey, winner take all. Yeah, that that would be cool. I would absolutely love that. Like, it, it would be so cool to cross over all the which ways in the sport and and see that. Like, you know, like I see some of the crossover from the Woods guys as far as like uh, I rode for Balance's team for several years. Whenever Bill was still racing a little bit, but mainly it was uh, Taylor Kaiser and Walker Fowler. And man, those guys are no slouches in the uh, on the moto track. And then I mean, they're they're true athletes. And then you see some of the guys go to the woods and like, like I said, I'm, I'm good for a lap and a half. I need to work on that endurance, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's been some guys with some great success that went to moto to the woods and TT as well as it, you don't see a lot of crossover between that and here and now. I think it's just a, uh, it's a lot of prep work that the moto guy, that's, that's what scared me about doing some TT. Mitch Reynolds started uh, racing again this year and we grew up racing TT and moto together. And he was trying to get me to come do some TTs. And I'm like, man, I just, I hate, well, there was some sponsor conflicts with not having the correct tires on a TT track, but I was like, man, it'd be pretty tough too, because building a whole bike and making, uh, make sure we all know TT is so much about setup and oh, yeah. it, it rules the world over there. And I'm like, man, that'd be tough. Cause like, I'd have a hard time getting beat and knowing that it was my setup. And he's like, yeah, it's just part of it. And I'm like, that's part of the skill you got to have. And I'm like, man, I, 
I hate that. I like, that's what I like about moto and stuff like that is that it's it, the setup and stuff definitely matters, but you can overcome it. And that's the big thing about TT, but to have it all and to have a true champion like that. And then I would love to have done some works races where it was just some off road, just running some high speed stuff would be cool. Baja though, that, uh, that stuff scares me, man, that, yeah, those guys are gnarly. I'll give it to them. I, I've always been scared. If somebody was asking me like, would you ever want to do it? And I'm like, man, I, I don't know. I've, I've heard horror stories and the people that do it love it, but man, I'm scared. Uh, a couple years ago, we, I had Josh Rowe on one of my bikes and, um, um, gosh, why I'm losing the, losing his name. He came out in, from the East coast and raced and, uh, at the end of the race, he, he just said, you know, I, I don't need to go that fast, you know, cause Josh passed him in the dust before pit one. And uh, I mean, we had a, we had a stellar day. Uh, we made one mistake at pit two, but when you have a gas and go all day and you have the fastest bike and you have the best skies, um, we just drove away from the field and it was awesome. But Josh passing the guys in front of him before pit one, and both of them just going, yeah, I just don't need to go that fast in the dust. <laughs> that would be me. Uh, that would fully be me. Just, nope, I don't need to go that fast. I'm good. Well, because that's, that's a whole different world. When I was Doug Eichner's mechanic, you know, all the guys would talk. I got to race against him a couple of seasons, but in, in the desert, but the guys would talk about Doug being so fast in the desert. And if he could see your helmet or see some portion of you, he wasn't backing off, period. It didn't matter, you know? And I'm like, Doug, how do you do it? And he goes, well, he says, I pick a number. He says, well, what do you mean you pick a number? Yeah, I pick a number and I count. And when I get to that number, I shut off. And I go, well, Doug, what's your number? And he goes, I can't tell you that. You have to pick your own number. You know? And so oh, we're... Man. Yeah, I remember this. And, you know, my number was 10. When I got to yeah. 10, I shut off. And usually as you're getting ready to shut off, usually the dust would clear. You know, most yeah. of the time there, there was race course in front of you, but occasionally you were in the toolies or, 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 or driving off the edge of, the, uh, of a, you know, uh, there was a 90 degree turn there and you're going straight and oops. <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah. It's a lot of fun. No, it, it is. Uh, it really does seem that was one thing I wish I would have done before I would have hung everything up. Uh, I'm close with uh, Weenan, Chad Weenan, and mm -hmm. he came out and did a few works when he was riding for the MotorWorks Can-Am team. And he's back there out west and they're doing some testing and stuff. And he goes and does one. And he calls me and he goes, well, How'd it go? And he goes, Man, I was winning. Then I hit a tree. I'm like, You were in the desert. How'd you hit a tree? He's like, well, it was really like a, like a bush, but I got hung up in it and couldn't get the bike out. And I'm like, you're in the middle of the desert and you run in a tree while you're winning. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, you just need to stick to the moto. But yeah, he, he sounded like he had a blast, but it was a, a different world. Well, do you remember when he rode for Kawasaki? I do. Okay. They, they're there and we were at uh, I-395. Okay. And it's, it's in the middle of, from San Diego to Vegas, it's like the mi middle point somewhere in there. You're almost a bar. So out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, uh, I'm talking to Jimmy during the race and Chad's leading and, uh, Josh is in second Kramer. 
Yep. And they're just killing it. You know, and I'm like, wow, you guys are, dude, you're destroying us. And I couldn't believe this. And, and I'm Eichner's mechanic at that point. We're the fastest guy there. And we're, we're having our first problem ever in the series. We had never had a DNF in, in six years of racing and we're having our first hiccup, you know, and I'm just watching these guys just tear it up. And Jimmy turns around and goes, yep, it's over. And I'm like, what do you mean it's over? Dude, they still got 40 minutes to go. And I goes, yeah, our 38 minute motors are over. And both guys within seconds of each other pulled over. I was just like 38 minute motors. What are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, they last 38 minutes. Yeah. 38 minutes. Oh, he knew it. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, that is just crazy. I couldn't believe that, but they were just so fast. Um, I don't know if they would have stayed that speed for the whole race, but because um, 395 was was desert edges and sand. It was a pretty fast course that time, but it, it, you have to take, there's some endurance involved in it. Yeah. You guys are in great shape, but you're not in great shape to run, you know, an hour and a half to two hours. No, no, I, I learned that really, uh, really hard is uh, I, when I did that GNCC, I, I I had done a whole bunch of woods racing when I was a little bit younger, and it was always like, yeah, you just ride in it to the woods, you, you just kind of last, and that was always local stuff. So after a little bit, I could slow down. And uh, but when you're racing, when I was in the GNCC, road, uh, there was no there was no slowing down. <laughs> they just get faster, I get slower, so we're going backwards. I mean, at one point, I'm going up the Ironman Hill or one of the hills. And, there's all the guys hanging onto it. Like I go up to it, my bike kind of kicks and I'm tired. Like we're lap three. I'm, I don't know if I'm even still in the top 20 or not, but I, I'm done. Actually, hold up. I think I might've still been close to like the top 10. I'm like, and this bike kicks me up the hill. I mean, I thought it was going down. So I jump off. I'm like, I'm off. And all the, all the, the guys in the hill grab the bike and hold it down and don't let it start flipping. They're like, get on, get on. I'm sitting there thinking like, no, let that thing go. Let it flip down the hill. If I tell them it flips down the hill, I'm king. I was doing good. I was running top 10. I was going to finish there for sure. And uh, I get back on. And, yeah, I'm like, just let it go. Like, let it flip. And then they get back. Oh, get on, get on. I get up the hill. And I'm telling you what, I think we ran five laps. And it, it was a long GNCC anyways. I think it went like 210 or 220 for the leaders. I think I was like 240. Oh, but wow. the whole last lap, I never stood up. I would only put my left hand on the bars whenever I needed to use the clutch. Otherwise I let it rest in my lap and <laughs> rode the last lap one handed. And it, it was, uh, it, it, you, you were totally right. Is that I, those 30 minutes, I could get to 45, just kind of on just a little extra fumes. And I was done. When we got anywhere close that hour, is that, that was it. The moto, the moto strength, the motocross racer strength was gone. <laughs> that's so funny i gotta ask you some serious questions now all right go for it what uh miss not miss what do you think are the things that you're going to miss the most and what are you not going to miss uh, i think i'm i'm going to miss the racing and striving to be i think I think the biggest thing will be striving to be the best at something, having this goal of pushing yourself as hard as you can. I truly enjoyed that and the, the struggle that came with it. Now I'll also 
say that'll probably go the other way too, is I'm really going to miss not having that stress, but to, I guess, I guess the part would be is when you put that stress in and the work and it all pays off and on the weekend, you can stand up there on the box. And a few times I got to stand in the center of the box, but that, that feeling of everything you just put in paying off and something you can be proud of. I think that's gonna be hard for me to replace. And I think that's a big part I'm going to miss the, I guess the, and the same kind of goes the hindsight of that is part I'm not going to miss is the, uh, the stress, the, the long hours of not only working out, but stressing to make sure your bike is good and putting all this work in and yourself questioning if you're doing enough. And then whenever I questioned if I was doing enough, I would do more and never knowing that. And then when all that to go along with that was when that you put all that work in and something keeps you from succeeding, uh, man, uh, like a, you know, mechanical or just, you didn't perform that day, that let down feeling uh, that, that guts me. And makes me want to work harder. And the last few years is it would gut me more than it would fuel me almost. And that was hard. So I think that part will be is what I probably will not miss. And then, but the same thing as putting all that work in and having to succeed will be the part that I miss. So hopefully those kind of counteract some lot of each other, but it's going to be, I think that part's going to be really hard. And, and I guess, my day-to-day life of not trying to strive to be the best at something I'm going to have to, I'm kind of hoping my new job will kind of fulfill that some. And it's kind of what I like about the job is that there's a, there's a goal every day is, you know, it's active and stuff like that, but it's to help people. So I'm, I'm hoping all that stuff kind of goes together and I can fill that void of what I'm going to miss somehow. I think that, I think that's going to do some of it, but some of your, your emotions and some of the, uh, mental growth that you'll go through um, because you're not the guy, you know, cause right now you're yeah. the guy. And when you have to step into the realm of normal humanity, like, you know, guys like me, where you're always behind the scenes instead of being the, the highlight um, that takes a little bit of getting used to, um, but you'll go through a transition period where you're not that guy. But then when you come back to those groups of people, then you're, you'll be the guy again. Um, and it, trust me, it, it, you, you will, because um, there's not one person that I've ever spoken to that ever has a bad thing to say about you. Everybody's positive from other racers to sponsors to just people in the industry. So that's, that says a lot about you. That says a lot about your character. Well, I appreciate it. That's really nice to hear. I mean, I, I, I feel my parents raised me right. And I try to try to always uphold that, but I think you're, you know, that that's awesome to hear. And the, to be in the guy. Yeah. I mean, when I go to the track, you know, as I'm, I want to be number one, I, I, you know, I'm, I know I'm one of the top guys that some, one of my goals was to become. And I think you're right. I think it, it will be definitely a hard transition period to become from one of the guys to, you know, to just a guy and, that's going to be, I, I would agree. I think it's going to be tough. I have no clue. I'm going to handle it. And uh, I think come next year will, will be uh, some big change. And then not only to put on top of that is from what I've understand is when you go, uh, when you finally get hired on at a fire station, you're, you're low man on the totem pole and uh, you got to work your way up to being the guy again. So maybe, maybe that'll uh, fire, fire me up some, 
but I, I think I'm, uh, I think you'll do just fine because I think your competitive spirit will reignite and you'll be driving to the top of the to the pile in no time. You know, you're already a you're already an athlete, so that gives you some. I would say some leg up, you know, no, you don't know how to do some of the things they do, but you already know how to stay in shape. You already know how to get yourself in shape. You know, yeah, you're going to be able to have a cocktail. Yeah. You're going to be able to eat wrong, but you're still going to be in shape and strong and you're young still. So I think, I think you got some positives there. Let me, let me ask you this. If you had to tell, tell me or tell us, what was the best race day of your life? Oh. And it doesn't it, have to win. It, yeah. It's the man, there's a I, I don't know if I could pick out one. Don't uh, tell me tell me multiples then. That first win that I ever got as an AMA pro, uh I started and everybody remembers the race from the video where I front flip over and stay on the bike. And that was just, that was somebody riding with me that day because I, I was trying to bail and my foot got caught, but somehow it all worked out. But to win that second moto, you know, get third in that moto where I flipped and then get, win that next moto and get the overall. And that was, uh, man, that was an unreal feeling. And to do it at Loretta's and everything like that. I mean, that's Loretta's was my first ever national. Uh, and to do it there was, man, just that feeling coming off the track and doing it and battling with Chad the whole moto, which I was on his team that year and us being friends for so long. And just that was amazing. And to, I guess, to kind of couple that, that one really comes to mind. There was a moto at Walnut where I, I truly feel I was the fastest guy on the tr track. Uh, i do not sure if I actually passed Chad or not. But Chad never pressured me really the whole moto. He was behind me, but I had a comfortable gap, and th there was no there was no me slowing him down. I never felt like that in, at any point in the moto. You know, like I had gaps at certain points, and that moto there, as I, I felt like I was on point, there was another one at Millville. It was the same thing. Those two motos were, uh, I think, a year apart. But the, on those two days and those motos, is I was, I felt the speed, and lots of times, and a lot of my race wins and moto wins, is it was you know, kind of circumstantial, but those motos, I, I felt those were really cool feelings is knowing that I was the fastest guy. And I guess the, the, the kind of the third one, I guess that's kind of three there, but the, the USA race, the first year we went overseas and us going over there and winning that, winning that. And then the next two years as well. But that first year we got to go over there and represent the U S and put the hard work in. And it was that that feeling of doing that was probably one of the coolest things is my best race was probably Loretta's and maybe a couple of those motos all kind of run together. But as far as a cool feeling and a feeling that I don't know if I'll ever forget will be the, uh, the USA races. Those were, those are big putting, you know, going over there. And that first year was gnarly cause we had no clue what to expect. We didn't know how fast they were. We were told, everybody kept telling us we're going to blow, y'all are going to blow us out of the water. You're going to blow us out of the water. But, I mean, we, we just flew across the country and our bikes were in a container. We didn't know the rules. Uh, there was sound regulations. Our bikes were having to be different. Yeah, it was, it was unreal. And to go to be able to win and uh, that first moto when I won over there and 
Joel had it, but he had a DNF and we would have gone one, two for sure. But it was to win that moto was, was unreal and kind of set the tone for the day is that, and also Joel going DNF the rest of the races, we knew we had to go one, two basically. And to basically almost accomplish that with uh minus uh, the last race being a mud moto going one, five was enough to seal it all up for us. For USA, but that race was really cool. So when you guys were over there, what, what were some of the takeaways? What did you have to change to comply? Uh, sound. Oh my gosh. Like, and we struggle with it every year is that, you know, our sound over here is at 4,000 RPMs, give or take. I'm not sure exactly what the number is, but theirs is on the red box. And we, we did all kinds of testing and I mean, I was on scared when we left, uh, we left here, our pipes were super choked down. We had to remap all of our bikes. We get over there and our sound meter for some reason was reading quieter than what theirs was. Cause we get over there and we're having even more problems and we're having to change stuff on the fly, make up stuff. Uh, one of us had to switch to a different manufacturer than what we're sponsored by. Uh, I would have switched too, but the, the Doma wouldn't fit my subframe. Like we couldn't make it fit. We're looking at like cutting my subframe apart to try to get this Doma exhaust on that we're buying on the fly from riders over there to try to comply. We were able to uh, mark and then we're able to somehow mess with some stuff and get me, get me underneath with my DASA. But man, it was that the sound was big. The fuel was different, but we already had test fuel here and it was close, but the sound was what we, we were going through. We went through the first time we're like three decimals over and we already had everything we had done done. And we're like, we're looking at each other. And luckily we had some, you know, a great line like Mark Baldwin running the team and he started going to work and trying to figure out how to make things quieter. I'm sure there were some tricks up his sleeves that he's learned over the years. And I think we had to use every single one of them to get us through. Well, we, we've done rendezvous and, and yeah, that those guys are just sound Nazis. It's crazy. Yeah. So same requirements as PDV. Exactly the same red box that quiet. And you, and, and during the race, you listen to them and they're not quiet. Not at all. No, no, (laughs) not any French team for sure. No, no, never. (laughs) The American teams, they got to stay quiet. The French teams, they don't have to. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, we lived that, you know, in the beginning when we used to go to Pendezvous, they used to fly us over there, treat us like, you know, we were somebody until we won a few times. And then they were like, ah, yeah, you guys, you know, you have to follow this rule book. No, I want to, I want to follow that rule book. (laughs) (laughs) There's a different rule book. Whenever they transfer to English, some reason the, 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 the sound and the, all the rules change a little bit more strict. I got a two minute penalty Mm -hmm. for not having gloves. Oh my gosh. Two minutes for not having gloves. I had to go to the officials because I don't wear gloves when I ride. Yeah. And I had to go to the officials with the whole inside portion of the glove cut out and make sure that it was okay. And the officials. Oh my gosh. How would you do this? And I go, because I don't wear gloves. I'm not a sissy like you guys are. (laughs) (laughs) That was probably the wrong thing to say, but you know. Yeah. At that point, you're already mad because you already got a two-minute penalty. Oh, I was pissed. Oh, Oh, man. You know, I mean, granted, I wasn't on a – if if we could have ever got our plan together correctly, I was working with the Polish guys, 
and we always just had one thing or, or another as a setback injuries one time, you know, petcock the other time, uh, just, just never got it worked out. And, um, we were running in the top 10 both years until we had something go wrong. Yeah. I, I did that race once. It was gnarly. Um, and I, you know, I really enjoyed my experience, but I always said if I went back is I, I would want to do it. Uh, I've always wanted to do it on an all American team. Like just granted the, the rule book is against us, but I really wanted to do it with like a really like a super solid program where we're, we're, you know, dotting our I's and crossing our T's in every which way, but with all of the, you know, group of American riders and uh, we almost got a few programs put together that, that almost happened, but man, just never made it fully happen. It's a, it's a big expense to, to go over there and to, to do it as an all American team. Cause you got to bring everything from here basically and make it happen. And that, that one I would have been, that's one of the races I wish I could have done again with, uh, with, with, like I said, an all American team. Well, the first three times that, that we won it were uh, Eichner and Earhart. And, and my all-American team would have had three riders. or th- There was not going to be two. Because <laughs> the, the two-rider teams, that's gnarly. Like, it's for a motor guy. Like, some of them was guys, like, they could do it. But, I mean, like, on motor guy, I'm like, man. And, and I, I wouldn't even mind having, like, two premier riders and just having, like a, like, a, like, a clutch guy or something like that. Like, a guy that's just – he's not playing to ride much, but he's, he's there when you – you know, as a spare, because right. uh, I've heard the two guy program. I think Chad and Warnia did it two years, like uh, one year together. And, and and Chad, after he did it with Warnia, he's like, I I, I don't want to do it again because the, as soon as you're about recovered, is you have to get ready to go again. Like there's no even if it's only for an hour to finish it up or thirty minutes to finish it up, you got to get back on that bike. And I'm like, man, that's yeah, I would want three man team. I rode, I rode almost eight hours one year. No, nuts. Like that's, that's not, I saw Upperman do it when the year I went, he did, it was on the Cowie team with uh, Brian Cook and hit and Uppy was by far the fastest guy as far as time-wise. And that team was constantly trying to get up. And I, I put like an hour and a half in, I came off the bike and we both started the race and we came off about similar time and I'm finally recovered about recovered. And the guy's coming in for our third guy to get on. And he's coming in a little early and here comes cook coming in and they're putting Uppy back on cause they need speed. And I'm like, dude, that's gnarly. And every segment was like that. They just keep kept putting him back on the bike. And I'll give you props. Eight hours. That race is. Oh, well, granted, I'm, no, I, I'm not a professional skill like you guys, but you know, we had two injured guys and who else is going to ride? You know, yeah, I mean, you're there, you got to keep going. Like I, but it, whether you're skilled or not, that, that track gets rough. It gets holy. It, it starts off really smooth and nice. And it, it looks nice. And even at the end, if you would walk it, but when you're hitting those, those potholes at hey. 200 miles per hour, I mean, I'm exaggerating obviously, but those straightaways are I, so for being a motocross guy, we don't, we don't go that fast. You're just fifth gear licked coming down a straightaway. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. We, it, and breaking into a corner after you're going that fast. Like I've never like had like, like it's just, squalling tires for so long because you're breaking so i'm like oh my gosh this is gnarly i i I actually i actually love that you know i mean i just the two best races i've ever done in my whole life rendezvous and vegas serena gnarly you're you're gnarly it's just Uh, a different world it's it's almost like a different sport at that point 
Um, you know, I think that if you're a, you know, I, I raced two years pro in the desert. I never raced pro motocross. I never raced pro woods. I wasn't, I, you know, you can barely consider that I raced professionally, you know, because desert racing is an art form all on its own, but either you could transition to desert racing, but a desert racer couldn't transition to you. You don't think? No, because they're not learning the same skill set that you are. You're going to go out and attack the bumps, you know, because Doug Eichner was a motocross guy. Mm -hmm. He was a Mickey Thompson champion. He won three open class pro-am champions, championships in back East and then transfers to the desert. And he's killing everybody in the desert because he, he, he drives the machine in so deep in the turns attacks all the bumps and he's, he's riding a long distance motocross race is all he's doing. Yeah. Now Doug, Doug has a quite the resume. I've never met him, but I, I know his resume quite well. He's a, he, he, he's a beast. And, um, and you know, when, and he won championships in his forties. That's gnarly. I, I remember like, I, I had pictures of Doug like on my wall when I was a young kid, just started learning about national stuff. And then, I'm well into my pro career and he's still out there raising desert races. Like that's just intense. Uh, you know, you, I don't go ride as much as I'd like to, but when you go ride with him, it's still the same guy. He's still really? looking for the, 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 the sand berm tree jump, you know, and he's still out there having a ball doing, doing what he does, you know, riding and he rides a two wheeler and a four and a four wheeler. Um, he tried the UTV stuff much and, and didn't, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't give him the fix that the quad did. Yeah. Yeah. Side by side is different. I've, uh, I, I've thought about like, it'd be cool to get into, but it was, man, uh, it's too much money to even try to start getting into it. It's gnarly. I have the Miller brothers close by here and they're always like, Oh, you need to get a, you know, get a side by side and come race with us. I'm like, you give me one. We got a chance of me coming out there. I, I'm not building one for myself. <laughs> I'm not putting any money into it. Oh yeah. Because the, the, the cost of the car. Okay. You got to go buy the car. Then you got to change mm-hmm. the car. And if you don't have a good sponsor deal, you're in deep trouble. Oh gosh. I mean, cars 20 grand before a stock form. And then you got to do it. I'm like, Nope, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> I'm out on all that to see, to find out if I can drive one or not, not even to know. If, oh yeah. Nope. I'm, I, I'm good. I, uh, I guarantee you could drive one, but you'd need a season or so to set yourself into the mode of driving versus riding. Um, you know, it's, it's yeah, a different, it'd be different. Yeah. It'd be wild. I mean, the, the, the Miller brothers have made a quite a name for themselves and have done, done quite well at it. And right. you know, they, they were, they were my first idols when I was growing up. So it's uh it's cool to see them succeeding, but man, they're, they're good. They're, they're gnarly. That's pretty crazy. Um, who was your fiercest competitor? You know, uh, don't have to have gotten along with them either. No, I mean, so my fiercest, like my, my biggest rival was Jeffrey Ostrelli is me and him were, we were always battling for that third spot. These past four or five seasons, Joel and Chad always had an edge on us. And, they, they were gnarly and I trust me, I want to beat them and battle with them. But the guy that I found myself battling with more than anything was me and Jeffrey, man. I, it seemed like no matter what we'd find each other, if he got a good start and I got a good start or what it, 
we would just, we always seem to duke it out. And we always seem to be just right there. I, I, you know, I'm, he, he was gnarly and we're good friends. Uh, you know, I, I'm happy to call him a friend, but we, we've had our run-ins and been mad at each other, but we've all been put that aside. But definitely Jeffrey is, he's, he's gnarly. His speed was always, I think he, I, there's definitely at points he definitely had more speed than, than me for sure. And uh, he's had some bad luck over the years, especially these last couple of years. I, I feel for him because this last year was not his strong suit. And I know he's a, he's a better rider than that, than what he got to show this year. It just this year was not his year, but prior to this year, man, it was, we, we had some knockout battles. I, I can think of several. I mean, I go back to one in Texas. We had a couple in Texas actually, and it was us slamming each other last lap stuff. And man, it, yeah, I got a lot of respect for the guy. And it was kind of funny because the last moto this year is he had a, he, like I said, he didn't have a great year, but the last moto this season is the only, one of the only times we've seen each other all year. And we had a, one of our knockout battles for, you know, over half the moto just going at it with each other. So it was kind of cool to in the, in my career battling with Jeffrey, cause it, we spent so much time battling each other. That's pretty awesome that you can have that much respect for somebody that you, you bang bars with for so long. Um, it, it, can I ask some deeper questions about Joel and, and, um, we didn't, just to for sure. What do, no. you think, what do you think that what do you think that they had? What 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 do you think the difference between your your program and theirs were? I, I don't know. I uh, to to be honest, I think they're just better than me. Is I came to realize wow. that a couple of years ago. Is uh, I I would love to say I could have worked harder. Uh, Chad at some points was telling me I was working too hard and I needed to take breaks because me and I mean Chad's I, I couldn't choose one best man for my wedding so I have one guy that I raced with a long time ago and you know is Brian Johnson mechanic for me for several years after he got done racing and stuff but and then Chad's the other best man so me and Chad obviously have a very close relationship and, and Chad was a big mentor of mine before I became pro and then through my pro career and at one point I thought that was hindering me even because I thought me training and riding with him was always elevating him as quick as it was elevating me. And I would never be able to beat him. So I, sometimes I try to get away from Chad some and, and it didn't help me His me and Chad working together, I think gave us the best of both worlds is I, I believe I helped him and I know he helped me, but Joel and Chad, man, like, Chad's just so smart on the bike and no extra movements. And, Joel's raw speed is just unreal. So but the, both of them, their speed, the way they get it is just, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, they always had speed on me and I, I don't know what I did wrong. And I, that was the million dollar question for me for the longest time is if it was harder work, I had no problem working hard. If it was doing something different, if somebody told me I needed to run 10 miles every day to beat them, I'd have ran 15. Uh, but I just couldn't ever figure it out is it was, it was hard. And like I said, the last few years I became a realist, like they were better than me. And a lot of people say that that's why they could beat me is that I thought they were better than me. I don't believe that at all is when I line up on that gate, I was going to give it everything I had. And if everything I had had me finishing in front of them, great. They had me finish behind them. That sucks. But I, me knowing that on most days they were better than me, didn't hinder my performance. I just, man, I just feel that they had, they had something I didn't. And 
maybe there's something I could change to my program to make it better. I would have, but I, I don't know what I missed other than they were just, they were better than me. Did, uh, did Joel kind of come out of nowhere or did you guys see him coming? Yes and no is it's weird is me and Joel have battled very little. Actually, I've battled, battled more with Joel these past two years at certain points than we ever did before that because Joel came into his rookie year and he didn't have some good races. And then all of a sudden he went one, one at Dilla and one, one at Loretta's and just nobody touched him. Uh, and then that kind of was ways was, but he was either winning and in front of me or I never saw for two or three years before he became, you know, a title contender even is I'm not sure back how many years, but I never battled with him. Like he was, he'd either beat me by a long shot or he'd be behind me by a long shot. It is, it was weird as all get out. Cause I don't remember me ever really battling with him until more recent years. And then all of a sudden he became this guy where he was just unbelievable fast at every track. And he was either winning, blowing up or wrecking kind of. And then he smoothed out and became a champion and he started putting together. And I said, these last, I think these last two years, maybe three, even then to the, you know, two and a half years, I've kind of got faster and where I got to battle with him some. And he, uh, but that's when he started smoothing out some. So maybe he kind of lost some of that speed where we got to battle, but he, he's gnarly. You got to, you got to transition. You, you can be super fast, but if you're super fast in the weeds or super fast on your, on, on your lid or super fast and your bike blows up, um, you got to change yourself. Uh, you, you know, it's a similar story out here on the West coast with, with Bo Barron and Mike Sloan. You yeah. Know, Mike Sloan is just freaking on fire fast and Bo's the old guy that just exerts the amount of energy he needs to, you know, scores the points he needs to, when he needs to, when he needs to hang it out there, he can, you know, yeah. he can't hang it out there as long as Mike can. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you, I got a little story for it. It's kind of funny. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool how tight we all are. And like I said, I'm super tight with Chad, but I mean, me and Joel are tight. We can hang out. We, you know, we're, we're friends. We're, we're, we definitely don't hate each other by no means. And at one point me and him are talking and it's his second year battling Chad for the championship, but Chad just keeps clicking off wins and Joel's has his mistakes or whatnot. And Chad's getting the points and he goes, man, the guy just doesn't have any bad luck. And I, I said, man, dude, you got to look back. Is Chad had to figure that out. And because Joel, there was, I, Joel knew he needed to figure it out at the time, but I don't know if he really like all clicked yet, but he tells me this and I'm like, dude, think about Chad when he first went pro. Chad was the fastest guy for several years. Like when he first got hired on with Suzuki from that year on for three or four years, Chad fastest qualifier would just blow people out of waters at certain points, but couldn't put a championship together. Couldn't be consistent enough. And he had to figure it out. And then he, figured it out and started clicking them off like he has. And it was kind of funny to hear it. Cause Joel was looking at him like thinking like the guy has no bad luck. And I'm sitting there thinking like, no, he, he, he had his bad luck. He just had to figure out how to put a program together that worked. And he, he and Chad did it credit to him. He's has an amazing program off the bike, on the bike, 
you know, smart on the track. And he finally put all the pieces together. And sometimes I talk to him, I'm like, yeah, you could jump over that. He's like, man, that's too hard on the bike. It does. It's not, it's not worth it. It's not enough time that's worth it. And I'm like, where I'm pounding my bike into the ground and I'm sure Joel's doing the same, if not harder. And Chad's like, yeah, it, it, me over jumping that is too hard on the bike and it's not worth the risk. And that's something that Chad figured out that's helped him to these championships. And Joel is definitely figuring out now because he's becoming a lot more consistent these past few years. Well, if you bring the bike in on the wrecker, you didn't gain anything. You might have been the fastest nope. guy, and you might have jumped the, the the jump and woed the crowd, um, and you might have got the girl because of the jump, but mm-hmm. you didn't get the trophy. Yep, you, know? you didn't they get the points. Somebody else that finished. So you know the, the age old saying: you got to to finish first. You must first finish. Yep, and that that is very true. You know, I I never got to be a pro champion. Uh, I was very consistent, just very consistent behind Chad and Joel. Uh, they, uh, you know, it's, it's, you're right. You got to finish. And that's something that I always felt like I was pretty, pretty proud of. And maybe that's something that held me back a little bit is both those riders at one point had amazing speed where I never had that speed. I was always work hard, fight to the end of the moto. And the end of the moto is where I feel like I strived is where I would, you know, just never give up attitude where I never had that blazing speed. And maybe that's where I, you know, I just never had that point where I never had to learn to really be more consistent to do better is mine was always try to find more speed. Where's the speed at, you know, at points I'm like, hang it out more, like take a chance. So is that's yeah, you're right. They, you have to, you have first finish to, to, to win. But everybody rides in their own zone. You raced your whole career in your zone, and nobody can take anything away from you from that. You have a stellar career. You have probably made more money than most people at the sport, and you may not be carrying a lot away with you in, 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 a, in a satchel going, hey, look at all this money I made. But when you look back in 10 years or 12 years and look at your career, you, you, you should be really proud. You, you didn't, maybe you didn't win that championship, but you accomplished a lot. Uh, I, man, I, I tell you is, uh, I've kind of said it and I've never really thought about it until recent years is as a kid, I never dreamed of being pro champion. I just wanted to be one of the top pros. It was, it's kind of funny because I look back now and not being pro champion, but being one of the top pros, I, I, I accomplished my childhood dream and I'm very, I, I'm very proud of it. I'm, I get, I look back now and I, I hope that I can look back in 10 years and be just as proud as I am now because, uh, I accomplished that goal, it, but my goal changed as I got closer and became one of the top guys. Then I'm like, okay, uh, now, now I want to become champion. And, you know, it was, that was the ultimate goals to win races and be champion there at the end. But as far as when I was younger, I don't know why it wasn't, I never looked at there was, I never looked at the sports. It's the man because he's number one or he was the champion. It was, I looked at all the guys that were on the podium and got to stand up there and they were one of the best riders in the world. And that's what I wanted to be. And I, I I can look back and I, I feel safe saying that I I accomplished that. And I'm, I'm really happy that I got to do that. I'm happy that my family uh, 
was able to support me long enough to get me to the point where I could do it on my own and, you know, make this dream a reality. I know that you spent a lot of time with your dad in the beginning, because I seen pictures of you guys together. At what point did he step out of the, the program and, it, and, and leave it to you? Uh, never, uh, to the really? last moto. Yeah. He's been a part of my program the whole time. I mean, younger age, it's so younger age, he raced and rode with me. And then when I started racing nationals, he, and I got onto a 90 mod and we started taking it serious. Now by serious, we weren't looking at this end goal. We were just, we wanted to be the best, like just whatever it was. We wanted to go race. We were on 90 mods. We wanted to go win. All right. So that was the next step for us. So then he stepped away and started focusing on just working on my stuff and mechanicing for me. And through the years, he stayed very involved. But like, so I guess, I guess where I'm go, I was going with that is that he went racing with me and fully focused on me and my mom went with my sister. And so our family kind of got split up that way as my mom took care of my sister and took care of the company when my dad was on the road to help me. So both of them, you know, made all this happen. And as we got to pro class, we started getting mechanics, but my dad was always the guy behind the scenes. You know, I would say until I was into my second or third year of the pro class, my dad was still the main one making the phone calls and doing the stuff behind the scene and getting my program together and helping me build bikes. And as we going on, it went more from him building bikes to me building bikes on my own. And even in 2016, I think it was, we, things changed big time for us or 2017. And he was my full-time mechanic that year, as far as not full-time, he went home and worked, but at the races, he was my race mechanic and I'd prep the bike and show up and he would do that. But it, I didn't like that because he didn't get to do what I think he truly enjoyed. And he didn't get to help me as much because he was so worried about the bike, but basically from my pro career on other than that one year is we always had mechanics and he would be kind of like my crew chief as he would help the mechanics with the bike. He worked on the bike constantly, but he could give them jobs and then come check on me and see what I needed. And he, he basically ran the program on the weekends. So up until my final race then, and as far as my pro career, he missed one race for my sister's graduation. He, his job that he had did not require him to come to Daytona this year. And uh, actually, it's weird because I thought I told him when I came off the track that he couldn't been there. So it must have just been Brandy because he wasn't there. Um, right. And uh, there was one other race I think he's missed. So I think he's only missed – I can only think of two, but I think there's three for some reason of my whole pro career that he's ever missed. Did your sister uh, did your sister let you uh, off the hook for missing her graduation? Uh, yeah, she let me off the hook. I, I don't think my dad would have been left off the hook. So I missed his. Uh, and we had a great mechanic that year. So <laughs> my dad, my dad could rest easy on that one. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he it, it was gnarly because that was that was my first one, and it was uh, actually the year I was riding for Chad and that's when we made a big jump is that we went from like a top five guy that could get podium right around top five guy that get a podium here and there to being on the box every weekend. And, you know, this was like the second or third round and he had to miss it. But, uh, we, like I said, Chad, I was on Chad's team. So he was running the program. We had a great mechanic with Nate Hibbs that year. 
So I think that made it a little easier on my dad. I think Daytona this year was probably pretty gnarly for him because I switched to uh, this year. I got a different mechanic. The last few years I've had a different mechanic each year. And this year was Brandy's, my fiance's brother and her dad, which her brother was the main was, it was, he was, he was quote unquote the mechanic, but his, her dad jumped in a lot and they came to a lot of the races this year. And then when my dad was there every race after that, it was the three of them side by side working on the bike. But this year was Billy's first race and my dad wasn't there to make sure it was good. But luckily Brian Johnson, uh, that mechanic for me for several years, uh, lives in Florida is the other best man at my wedding. He, uh, was able to make the trip over that day and kind of filled in my dad's shoes and just stood back and made sure everything was getting done and helped out where, when it was needed. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what is your take on, uh, on the new happenings in the industry with Joel and uh, Yamaha? Uh, I think it's great. I think everybody should be on a Yamaha right now. Uh, <laughs> they're the only quad, you know, and uh, I'll start off with the saying is that, uh, Yamaha stopped paying me several years ago. They did support me with parts discount and stuff like that. So I'm very grateful for that. And they built a great quad, but, the, but I'm, I'm not on salary. Nothing there wasn't on salary the past few years, but they're the only person making a sport quad right now. And in my opinion, I guess, so that's why I think they should support it. There is a Honda contingency, which is great. But the only person that's in this sport is Yamaha. And I didn't like the fact that it looked like Joel was factory Honda. I don't know what the, the team's deal was. I know David Eller has a factory Honda dirt bike team. And, you know, Joel was on their social media and stuff. And that's great for Honda. But they're not making a bike. And they haven't made a bike in a long time. So see him switch. And I've, I've been hearing maybe there's a lot more switching, which would be great be super cool to see a lot more Yamaha's because I feel as if there was ever a chance of maybe somebody coming into the sport or a lot of people always ask, well, when's Honda going to come back in the sport? Well, why would they, they don't have to make a quad. They have more rider people riding Hondas out there than Yamaha's. And they're getting to sell all these parts. And we all know parts markup is way more than bike bike markup. So they're getting all the money without having all the overhead. And I'm like, there's no reason for them to come back. Will this trigger it or not? I have no clue if we got more Yamahas than Hondas out there. But I loved seeing it. I think it's going to be super cool to see him and Chad duke it out. Because uh, the Yamaha, I've rode some Hondas, and I can only see – I've only rode them here there, so I've never spent any real time on them. But me and Chad talk all the time. We can see where that Honda does some things better than the Yamaha and where the Yamahas lagged in areas. And then this year and one of the for several years until about two years ago, three years ago, uh, I'd really say two years ago, the Honda's always had more power than us. And two years ago, I got a motor package that I had more power than the Honda's. I truly felt like on the track. And then Chad this year, his motor program took another jump. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with the PEP performance tuning, getting these figuring out these fuel injection finally. And man, these bikes took a huge jump forward and now we had more power plus our bikes handle better in the rough. So it, it became the, I think it's a better bike now where before I think you could have flipped a coin, but now when we got the power, it, I think it became the better bike on the line. Well, that's an unusual perspective, but uh, you know, from your world to mine, 
I think the Yamaha is a good package. I got to win a championship in works with Mike Sloan in 2018. And, um, you know, unfortunately we had some bad luck in, in, in 19 and ended up second, but, um, the package we had was, was pretty good. You know, um, my brother Lauren was, is our engine builder for, for that, for those two years. But I, I still, I still struggle with a little bit of the Yamaha chassis quality stuff versus the Honda. Um, but you, you know what? I, I cut my teeth on Honda. Yep. I mean, that's, and that's what a lot of people did. And that's why I think the Honda was so good for so long. And it's, I tell you, eh, and that's where I think a lot of people like Joel always went back to the Honda. I think it's cause they knew it. Like you said, they cut their teeth on it and they, they knew that Honda in and out and it, it took some time. And, but I, I tell you what is my bike handles so good now. Now I've got a very biased opinion cause I never put a lot of time into a Honda. Right. But as far as in the rough, when I watch, when I'm behind these guys on these Hondas and I'm going through a rough section, I'm like, dude, you, you can't touch this thing. Like I'm watching their bikes. Like South the border was like weird rough and both Bryce and Joel at the beginning of our first moto, like I'm watching their bikes and Bryce wrecked because of it. His bike got kicked and Joel's bike was all over the place. And I was able to pass Joel and I'm like watching this and I'm like, man, they, they're just getting kicked around. The, the rear end was not working good. Now on a dry slick corner, those Hondas work damn good. But as far as rough and a, a, like a, like a sand track or a rock track or like a rough kicking track, man, the, our bikes just are, the Yamahas are so planted. And then not to mention that is the stock Yamaha is gotta be the funnest bike I have to ride or had to ride. I should say it was, I, I love that dang stock bike. You know, I I'll have to, I'll have to give that one to you. You, you put a, a vortex ECU on there and with no pipe on it, just with the ECU, because you gotta, you gotta fix the tuning flaws and Oh my God, it just, it is fun to ride. I'll have to give you that one. Um, oh, it, it's a black and you don't have to work on it. Everything's stock. You just keep riding it. You know, I think, ground. I think only one of the more, one of the funnest other machine stock that you can ride is an LTR. I, I never got to ride one, but I, I would say, and I've seen like, we had that stock class this year and I would have to say it's, I mean, the bikes have a lot of similar traits to each other. Uh, I would, I, I could see that one, but they, they both come 50 inches wide. They both are good machines and they handle good stock. It's, it's impressive. I, uh, in our, we moved in 2019, we moved our shop, but in where our old shop was, we were there for 30 years and we had a little test oval in the parking lot and I could turn a Suzuki inside a Yamaha and a Yamaha inside a Honda. That makes sense. I could see that. And, and, uh, Josh Rowe was there cause he was running pro works at the time. And we were going to a desert race to do something with, uh, another group of guys. And, um, I was taking a customer Suzuki to him and he had never seen me ride in the parking lot like that. And he couldn't believe that I could go that fast on a machine in that parking lot with dumpsters at one end and the busy street at the other end and, and make the turn, you know, it's, 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 I never, I never paced it off. So I don't really know how long it was, but I got clocked in there on a banshee at 61 miles an hour. 
Holy cow. And made the I'm picturing it. I have no clue. I've got this picture on mine. I'm just thinking this and I buildings made, everywhere, dumpsters in a road. Well, the parking lot, you know, the, it's it's wide enough yep. for two lanes with a rain gutter in the center and dumpsters at one end and the street at the other end. And um, yeah, I made the turn every time. It, it was uh, it was pretty cool. I'm thinking, like, I can kind of, I can picture a SoCal parking lot right now, warehouse division, just, yep, everything's tight. Yeah, no, I should, I can, that's All gnarly. Concrete. I can picture it. We yep, got. I, hold on, y'all don't have anything other than concrete there, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you're pretty right. Yeah, you're pretty right about that. Uh, <laughs> There's dirt over there. Go put concrete on it. We're in Southern California, so there is a little bit of dirt. You know, okay, a little bit. It, it, it's very dry dirt there's right very dry dirt um <laughs> we got the in 03 before pendezvous we got the yfc 450 okay, okay yep yep we got it from the uk so we're out developing it in the parking lot and we wore out a set of stock tires because that's the only thing i had for it in the shop we wore the stock tires out, making this loop in the parking lot over and over again, testing the, the tuning and doing all kinds of other stuff to it, you know, learning the bike because I had never seen one. This is, you know, the first one ever. And uh, I just remember that, that, that bike stock with a pipe on it turns phenomenal. Really? It does. Wow. Stock I, I, on it. I never liked my, my, like I raced it. I won a pro-am championship on the non-R, the, the regular YFZ. I liked my R stock better than my race bike YFZ. I, I totally get it. And, and, but if you, but if you take it in a different mindset, when you're trying to drift it on the asphalt or the concrete, that yeah. bike drifts so great and turns incredible i mean the only thing the only bike out of all of them that probably works better is an 88 250r with a mid-range pipe <laughs> i never got to ride 250r so i'm taking your word on that but yeah i mean i can see the old one being good in that circumstance for sure narrow not wide narrow you know because the yamaha came narrow in its yep. early days and and you're thinking how do you turn a narrow bike on concrete well you get it spin you get the wheels to yep. spin. and then it, and it has traction because it is narrow so when you want to go forward it has the traction you need yep you know yep so. the narrow bike has traction it it's hard to it's hard to make turn you know and smooth but it, it has traction well you drive out of the turn so, so yeah. I, there, there's different perspectives because i got to do a lot of different crazy stuff with with you know whether we were going to the desert and build them and, and test them you know we were testing motocross bikes in the desert because we live in the desert you know <laughs> yeah we were oh, lucky. man yeah no that, that's wild i remember when that bike came out like i remember high point what was i think Corey ellis had it, and he showed up on it there and it was everybody was lining the fences to see that and man i i hope our sport gets to go through another era where people are starting to release bikes and somebody gets to ride it you know that'd just be the the ah, i mean i just remember it so clear it's high point everybody's lining the fences like that that's the new yamaha like look at it and everybody's so stoked i i, I hope we get to go back to that at some point 
I think that if uh, if you could get Suzuki and Honda to drop new models, uh, you would see a resurgence in the racing. Uh, even if even if you still have to do like even if Honda just dropped the same model again, you, yeah, people would still buy it. You know, uh, for sure. I mean, I, I think Honda could release a, a just a they could release the exact same model, but switch that carburetor off for a fuel injection and people would go nuts. Yep. You know, it, it, it wouldn't take much. Uh, you know, if Suzuki released something, uh, people would be right back on it too. It, it'd be cool. And, and as much as I am a Yamaha guy, uh, I mean, I, I hope people come back in the sport and, you know, I, I owe my whole, my whole big bike cruise been on Yamaha and my, my, when I turned 17, I also, signed a Yamaha contract and it never stopped since then. So it's, I, I owe a lot to Yamaha. I mean, they kept me in the sport. They got, they, they're such a big part of my career, but I, and I don't think they would strive away from wanting people to come back into themselves. You know, I think they want to, they want to, they want to race. Right. Did you know, did you get to speak to Donnie Luce very much? Yo, that that was my main guy, Donnie. Donnie's the one who I dealt with my entire time at Yamaha and, until my last phone call and uh, with him and signed to step away. And he got to be there for my last race. And he, yeah, I, I got to talk to Donnie a lot, and I've got to know him closer every year. And man, it, it's uh, I as much as I owe to Yamaha, I owe it to Donnie because I really feel Donnie fought for me, me personally a lot. I I really believe that. Well, I used to call Donnie and buy parts from him when he worked at White Brothers. <laughs> yeah, this is this is probably before you're born. We're, we're born. No, uh, maybe maybe that's where I remember when Donnie worked at White Brothers. That's a long, uh, long time ago, dude. Yeah, I told them then. I just knew I knew somebody that talked to him, and they they knew him and they knew him as Donnie from white brothers as he was switching to Yamaha. I was, I remember Donnie from Kawasaki. <laughs> days. Yeah. Hey, well, I understand he was a beast. Okay. I'm riding a, a race in Paris, California. Okay. And I'm just an amateur quad goon guy. I'm not even really working with Lauren that much. You know, I've worked in the company and worked for the company at multiple times, but I'm 17, 18, 19, something like that. And they had this tabletop turn jump. Okay. So you go up the face, you land in the turn and then you drop off. Donnie's I'm on the inside. Donnie passes me on a, he's on a three wheeler sideways going up the lip of the jump. I don't know if he landed on the flat or landed on the down the way he drove through the turn. When I started to come down the jump, he was already gone. <laughs> That's awesome. I, 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 I'm so pumped. You told me that story. Cause uh, I, I would love to hear those stories all day about Lucy. I mean, he's, uh, like I said, he's been a huge part of my career, but I don't, I don't get to hear that stuff. I get to hear some of the stories from other people of, you know, some of the, some of the stuff back in the day, he never talks about it. So it's really cool to hear that. No, he was, he was a phenomenal rider. Um, you know, I, I was standing on the sidelines or racing in lower divisions and just, you know, just basically 
Yeah, I, I, I was so young that I didn't even realize what was happening in the industry that I was in, you know, because my father was kind of like a, found, a founder, you know, because he was there back when yeah. the wheel 90s came and, and started doing motor mods. And so we're watching these guys like Marty Hart and Mike Coe and Steve Mendenhall and, 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 you're, and, and Donnie Luce and, and, you know, Jimmy White. I mean, I could go on and on and on, and it's just phenomenal. These guys are still in the industry. They're still icons. They're still doing things that promote the sport that we all love so much. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I've got to meet Jimmy White a few times and know him, you know, got to hang out with him. I guess I shouldn't say I mean, met him a lot, you know, but I hung out with him a few times, like, especially whenever Chad was riding for him and stuff, and then, uh, seen him at a couple of events, but yeah, like it's, it's really cool to see all those guys in the industry and the, those guys are, they're wild. I mean, them and the Henson crew, and I saw them at, uh, uh, the motocross nations at Redbud. They had a motor home there. They're parked in a lot just and still, still so much a part of the sport in this industry. And it's, it, it's really cool. And I hope there's people that I get to see and from my time that are still in this industry, you know, and, so many years down the road, it'd be, that, that would be really cool to see. You know, I'm, I'm 54 and I took a couple of years and built some houses and worked in the, in the housing industry for a while, but I can't see in my lifetime doing anything, but what I do, you know, my dad's 85 years old and still works in the engine facility with my brother. That's what I heard. I, I listened to the Turner, Paul Turner podcast you did. And that was super cool to hear all the backstory there. Uh, Cause I I've known very, you know, I never, never worked with y'all at Duncan racing or any part of it. And then to hear kind of the backstory and the stuff Paul went through and heard, heard more of Paul's story that I never knew. Cause I know Paul really well and he's a great guy and been a huge part of my career too, you know, when I won my pro-am championship, he was the one prepping the bikes the whole time. And even further down the road, he mechanic for me for a year or two at, at all the races. So it was, uh, it was really cool to hear his backstory. And then y'all got into a lot of the stuff with, uh, y'all's whole family. And that, that was really cool to hear. Well, you want to hear some history, ep listen to episode three. Episode three. All right. Who's that one with? That's my dad. That's your dad. All right. I'll have to listen to that one. I, I would like that. There, there's I appreciate a lot of the advice. There. That, like I said, um, I got some special stuff coming in, in, uh, 2021, uh, your, your episode will drop early in January, um, because of the way that we tape and the way that we lay it all out. I've already laid out, you know, I don't like to admit it, but I have a lot of content and I have to pick and choose where I put everybody. Um, so I, you know, going to put you in the middle of uh, the beginning of January somewhere, but I'll have some episodes with my dad next year. Um, and I'll be doing a, um, series of, um, for, you know, I already think you guys are all heroes. So let's just get that out of the way. But when we, when we, when we talk about these other guys, I'm going to just talk about inspiration and, and, and we're going to call it inspired. And I'm going to start it off cool. with Mike Penland because I don't know if people really know 
his story and, and some of the things that he's accomplished. Um, and I'm going to have my dad on there, which, you know, granted I'm, I'm prejudiced. My dad, he's my dad, you know, I mean, he's the guy that taught us. Uh, yeah. It set the bar for us. And, um, I have quite a few other people. I'm going to do some military stuff with some military guys that I know. Um, some of them are ATV enthusiasts. Some are ATV racers. Um, some are just, you know, going to talk about their military career. Um, I have a young lady that will come on that is a, is super inspirational. She was involved in a really bad accident and um, is paralyzed from the waist down or the chest down. And um, when you listen to her episode, if you do, you will be amazed because she has turned it into a positive. She's got a business with it. She's turned into changing her diet, changing her attitude, motivation, everything. It's incredible. It's incredible. So there's some cool stuff coming. And I'm hoping that you will stay in touch with me so that we can talk more because in the hour, hour and a half that we spend or, or two hours, however long we talk, you're never going to get all of Thomas Brown. Yeah. You know, no, I I like that series. I I like, I like hearing the old stuff from ATV racing and uh, I absolutely love the military stuff. I, I think it's one of the biggest honors and thing that people are. It's it's a huge, I I guess big honor is maybe not the right terminology, but I respect the people that serve our country so much. It is, uh, I think it's the ultimate thing you can do for us is, you know, go serve us. And, and they get so little credit and man, I have, I have a, I have one really good buddy uh, that I went to school with that is in the air force, uh, you know, and the stuff that I get to talk to him and stuff he goes through and things like that, man, I, I respect that so much. And I, I think that'll be really cool. And I, I can't wait to hear that stuff as well. Some of the old stuff is that'll be, that'll be awesome. So I, I, I will be a listener for sure. And for sure we'll stay in touch as, uh, you know, as, as far as racing goes, I hope I can inspire kids to, you know, dream big and, you know, make their dreams happen. And mine came from a lot of hard work and, and, and a lot of lucky breaks too, but is uh, every day it was uh, the biggest thing is I have a model. You make your own luck. And that basically means the harder you work, the more luck you'll have. So the harder you work, the more you you can make your dreams come true. That's a great, that is a great, great uh, statement there. And what I'd like to hear from you or, or for you to see if you could relay to the young listener. Yeah. What is the, or what is some advice that you could give them in life to accomplish their goals? Man, it's, it's be the best you can be like, uh, as far as that goes. And that doesn't just go towards, okay, so I need to be the best in shape. It also requires, I need to be the best person I can be. Uh, I need to be the best racer I can be. I need to do, you need to do everything. And it's something I try in my life is do the best I can be every which way around. Um, and I guess what that goes is, is in racing is I did everything I thought I should do. Maybe it wasn't the right calls or something like that, but I always did what I thought I needed to do to be the best racer I could be. If it was running, if it was riding, if it was doing sprints, I did what I needed to do there. But the other half of that is 
I needed to be the best person off the bike and best person I could be. For one, I, I do believe in karma. Uh, I think what goes around comes around. So you want luck on your side as far as karma goes. But other thing is, is that is if you're a good person, people will see that and they see that you work hard, you'll get those extra sponsors and things to make your dream come true. Just because you're the best doesn't mean that you're going to get all the opportunities because if you're a jerk off the track and you're rude and you, you don't, you're not the best person you can be, people see that and maybe they won't want to help you. And some people do get helped for maybe they're not the politest, but it is ultimately, I believe that's what helped me get so far is that I always tried to be as respectful as I could be and do the work on off the track in my personal life and that, and sometimes my family had to make sacrifices because I was making sacrifices to not do, to not be with them or to do something like that to race. And, and that sucked. But, you know, as like I said, you just got to be the best person you can be all the way around. And, and that person is a racer, is a son, is a, is whatever you are, is you can be the best. You strive to be the best person. I think you'll have the best results. That's pretty awesome. That's, that's wisdom beyond your years. If you don't realize that um, it takes, it takes some of us uh, a long time to realize that your actions as a man or a woman, uh, I can only speak from a man point of view in this deal because uh, the actions of being a real man are it, it, to me is sacrifice because I have two of my children and, and my wife has three children and I consider all of them mine. And um, you have to sacrifice for your children, even when they don't live with you, even when they're not at home and you, you'll learn this, you know, and, and when you come back and your parents, your parents will become uh, needy in, in need of you uh, as they get older. And, and uh, I'm sure you see a change in your dad. I'm sure he's still a young man at heart and, and still, and still pushing forward. Um, but at some point you have to, um, step back and sacrifice and you've already known, you already learned the art of sacrifice in your given athletic sport. Um, because you didn't do it for money. That's for sure. Oh no, definitely for the love of the sport. Love it. That's what this ATV, that's what ATV talks all about is the love of the sport because, um, you know, a lot of people think that podcasting makes a lot of money. I make nothing. Um, monetizing is, uh, is, is a job all on its own. And, um, I work a full-time job. Um, I have another company that does rider race support as far as building machines for people and taking them to the races and supporting them as a race mechanic. And then I do this. So I'm pretty much working 16, 18 hours a day. Um, you know, pretty much six and a half to seven hours, seven days a week. You know, it, it just doesn't stop. Um, so you sound like you're nonstop. No, I don't, I don't intend to, um, until mama says it's time to, to, to come in the house and have dinner or it's, you know, it's her time. And when it's her time, uh, the phone gets put away, you know, uh, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't call you right now. I, I can't have the meeting, you know, we're going to have to reschedule, you know, sorry, mama said, you know, yeah. I, I understand I'm, that. All right. I, I feel like I'm going to learn a lot more of that soon. 
I'm very blessed. Trust me, I'm very blessed. My wife lets me work a lot and lets me dig that hole to where she has to put her foot down and say, no, come in the house. So you'll learn that as well. You know, I mean, you still have toys to play with and, and, you know, you're still going to prep machines to go do the things that you want to go do. Um, that's not going to change for you. I really don't believe that's going to change for you. <laughs> no, I, I can't. I, I, I get bored way too easy. Uh, I've been <laughs> I, I've been cleaning the shop today. Just just cleaning away. I, I got a new. I got. I actually bought a, a side by side to do the mudding stuff with. And I, I don't have an event coming up, but I'm ready to start. You know, going through everything on it just to make sure it's all good. I bought it used, so I'm. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I don't think I'll be able to slow down, whether it's for fun or for work. Uh, my, my pace, I don't think will slow down. I hope it slows down some and I can get to spend more time with, uh, with everybody, but I know that I won't be able just to sit around. You'll, you'll figure it all out. You know, I really believe you will. I, I think that, I think that you'll have a, uh, an amazing next couple years because things will happen in your life that you, I don't even know if you're prepared for. Uh, I am sure I am not prepared for, and I'm sure I know they're not coming, but uh, I'm excited to tackle them. Oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And again, congratulations on the wedding. Uh, my wife and I just got married uh, in 2018. So, um, yeah, awesome. I'm a little well, Congrats to y'all. Oh, dude, it's, 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 she's, an, she's an amazing woman. I was blessed to find her. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I really believe that there was divine intervention. So. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. I'm, I'm excited for the, uh, it's like, we talked about this whole podcast and we got a lot of changes coming between getting married and life changing and so many which ways for us, but I'm super excited to, uh, go through all that with Brandy. It's going to be a, a great adventure and I'm looking forward to it. And I wouldn't want anybody else by my side. That's awesome. That, that That's all you can ask for. And then, and that's, that just a blessing to hear. And, and I'm really pleased, you know, uh, like I said, I've heard nothing but good things about you. And, and this podcast reinforces all of that. And, you know, you're a, you're a straight shooter and I really appreciate it. Oh, well, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you having me on here and let me talk. And, you know, I, I, I want to stay in touch. And if there's ever anything I can do uh, or if any opinions I can give, I'll, I'm happy to give them. And uh, somebody asked me the other day if I can give an opinion. I said, I can give way more opinions now than I can a month ago. So, <laughs> I, I'm, I love it. I'm happy about that. I love it. Um, yeah, you know, we're going to stay in touch and I, I do, um, group talks every once in a while. Um, I would, I prefer to do them in person. Um, we are looking to go, um, mobile at some point to where we come and travel to certain places where uh, we can get a group of people that I would normally not get to. Uh, I, I think we're maybe next summer probably looking to do some of that. Um, so maybe we'll hit you up because you know, a lot of people in Florida there and uh, we could get a good group together and, and sit down and have a ATV conversation. For sure. If there's a group that you think I'd fit in good with or something like that, you let me know. I'm not afraid to travel. ATVs, man. ATVs. We're all one. Yeah. Hey, it may, it's, it's a big family. It's, it gives you life experiences that, I could have never learned. I've done more with ATV racing, traveling to different countries, having to defend for myself at a very young age. I mean, my dad had to stay home and work. He put me in a motorhome at 17 and off I went to train. And uh, life experiences that 
most people will never get to experience. And I got the experience that you, you live a dream. So yeah, absolutely. Stay in touch. If you, I would love to do a group conversation with current riders I'm racing with now past riders. I mean, I, I would be, it'd be a true honor. Well, it's my pleasure. And, um, I, I will be hitting you back up here shortly for some more information that I need from you. Um, and, uh, congratulations on the wedding. And if you ever need anything you, and you're on the West coast, you have my number. You please call me. We'll, we'll, we'll do. I greatly appreciate it, sir. We'll take care of you. I promise. Uh, that's, that's what I like to hear. And, and as every ATV racing family member does, you know, we look out for each other. You come to Florida, you let me know. Well, I gotta, I'm, I'll take you I'm to a coming, mud event. If I'm coming to Florida, we're going to sit down and we're going to have a, a face-to-face conversation about ATVs again. And, and we'll get some of your friends in there and, and we'll, uh, we'll talk uh, in depth and get some good stories out there. The, the stories that you don't want anybody to hear. I'm I'm all about it. Like I said, it's kind of goes with the opinions. I got, a, I got some stories that I can say now that I probably couldn't have said a month ago. <laughs> That's awesome. I will be hitting you up in the future for those. So um, you have a great night. And again, I appreciate you. And I, I want to say, and I don't know how to say it, you had a stellar career and I want you to embrace that and hold on to that because nobody can take anything away from you. You're a champion in your own heart and in your own mind. And so don't ever, don't ever let anybody, because you didn't walk away with the number one, one year, you are a champion, Thomas. I appreciate that. I really do. You're a champion at life and you're a champion in, in, in most people's hearts because you're a straight shooter and that's what everybody's looking for. No, I appreciate it. I truly enjoyed it. It's uh it's been a blast. I'm, I'm happy to walk away healthy and have the career I did and uh, all the experiences that are going to continue on. So it's, um, thank you. My pleasure, buddy. You have a great day and I'll let you get back to your family and, uh, you take it easy. Okay. And and I'll be in touch. We'll do look forward to hearing from you, sir. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking after your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.BodyEvolutions.org or call for an appointment, 858 858- Five seven one zero one six zero. Duncan Technologies International. More than thirty-three years in the industry, building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.